Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Mike Sammons from How to Survive on Land and Sea coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is the owner of Avondale Food and Wine in Montrose. Mary Clarkson, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. Good to be here. Thanks for coming. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Bar 5015, a Third Ward Sunday Funday staple, is going to close at the end of July. In its place will be a new bar from the owners of the Turkey Leg Hut, Lynn and Nakia Price, and their business partner, Steve Rogers. Uh, Not really talked a lot about Turkey Leg Hut here on the show, but it has become quite a phenomenon. I stopped by there for lunch last week to meet with their publicist and kind of talk about all the things that the Turkey Leg Hut has going on. Friday afternoon, 1.32 o'clock-ish, so kind of after the lunch rush. Uh, full dining room, full patio, line out the door, 25, 30 people waiting in the heat for their chance to eat turkey legs. And the private dining room was claimed by a group from a legendary local hip-hop label, Rap-A-Lot Records. (laughs) So this is a bona fide phenomenon that I have been slow to recognize, but I am trying to get caught up quickly. Um... Not sure, Mary, there's a whole lot to say about Bar 5015 closing, although there are people who will miss it. I don't know if you've ever driven down Almeida on a Sunday and seen the crowd. I have not seen the crowd. Um, I do want to go to Turkey Lake Hut, so I'm kind of looking forward to what they're doing. Right. So they have, so in addition to whatever they're doing at Bar 5015, which they haven't really announced yet, they have three new projects in the works, all of which are going to open between now and the end of the year. The first one is Daiquiri Hut, which is exactly what it sounds like. If you go to Turkey Leg Hut, they serve a variety of daiquiris and frozen drinks. So they're going to expand that. The second one is Savoy Urban Beer Garden, which will be on Emancipation. That's a, you know, a beer garden. And then the third one is Breakfast Hut, which will take the, the dishes they serve at Sunday brunch and give them a permanent home. I would like to try the daiquiri right now. um but so no i mean i like i said i've been kind of slow to recognize the turkey leg hut phenomenon but um it is a thing it is it is a bona fide thing it is it is nationally recognized this has become kind of a a must visit stop uh especially for african-american celebrities traveling to houston so uh basketball teams comedians musicians snoop dogg was there Kevin Hart apparently filmed part of a Netflix special uh, in that private dining room. And it, it's just, it's become a phenomenon. And I will say, having eaten a turkey leg, I, I kind of get it. It's really damn good. They smoke them and then they sort of, they split them open and they stuff them. Like mine was stuffed with dirty rice, but you can get it stuffed with mac and cheese or a couple other different options. Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> So, 
Are you gonna Are you gonna take the turkey hut plunge? I will. I think we should go together. Yeah, stand in the line and sweat it out in the heat. Go early or go late. <laughs> well, go late is when I think the line is at its peak. But I think going early maybe maybe the play like right when they open at eleven o'clock. Yep. Uh, try to beat the crowd that way. Treat it like a, a barbecue joint. Sounds like a plan. All right. Topic number two. Downtown's the the next food hall downtown understory is soft open two of the restaurants are open they are flipping patties the filipino inspired burger concept and mona fresh italian the uh it's kind of a pasta bar concept from sydney dagon who had cafe azura in montrose um put it to you like this where are you kind of on the whole downtown food hall thing i like the idea of all these food halls, I don't know if there's room for all of them. Um, we have seen some of the food halls that have opened. Some of the businesses haven't lasted even uh, for very long. That pizza joint went away pretty quick. Right. I think I think vendor turnover is is just part of the. It's just part of the way that the food halls are going to operate. I think the bigger brands, you know, the good companies, the Papas of the world, those kind of companies will do the best. I think. For some of these smaller operators, it's it's hard to get traction. I think the mix of vendors and or tenants has to be right in each one of these for it to work. Right. And so Understory is doing some of that, right? Mona Fresh Italian and Flippin' Patties maybe mm-hmm. less well-known. It's going to have the first Mama Ninfa's Tacos y Tortas, their new fast casual concept from the owners of the original Ninfa's on Navigation. Nice. It'll have another location of Boomtown Coffee, one in the Heights and one on Main Street already. Another location of Seaside Poke, which has been kind of a phenomenon in Edo, right near where like Rodeo Goat and Truck Yard mm-hmm. and all that is. And then uh, it's going to be seven total. They haven't announced the seventh. So where is is that? That's five. I'm, I'm missing yeah. one. I don't. I don't know what the last two are. I think there's. I think there's room for these concepts. Um, I was in the tunnels. Oh, East Hampton Sandwich Company. Excuse me. There you go. Um, I was in the tunnels. Last week, and it just really amazes me the variety of choices underground of already existing concepts that they're also competing with. Right. And two, so Understory is connected. I think there's five access points in the tunnels to Understory, which is good because I, it's been a long time since I worked in a downtown office, but you know, how far could we walk in 10 minutes? Like, what could we get to? That kind of determined the lunch radius most mm-hmm. days. So anything that's new, especially if you've worked downtown for a couple of years, you are totally bored with your lunch options or you're eating the same thing probably a couple times a week. So anything that's new is automatically exciting. It almost doesn't even matter what it is. But to have, you know, Mama Ninfa's tacos, a good poke option, sandwiches from East Hampton, all of that's going to add to the mix. So I see it. I totally get it as a lunch destination. They want to be open evenings and weekends. Uh, it's pretty close to the downtown theaters. I think they'll have some parking. You know, that's that's always a little trickier for me. Like, will it be a draw in the evenings? But, you know, we'll obviously, as, as Linda likes, as Linda Salinas likes to say every time she's on the show, <laughs> we'll see. It's like, yes, that that is literally always true for anything that's going to happen in the future. But there's certainly potential there. And it's a compelling mix of options. I agree. I, I'm looking forward to see how they do. And and let's, as Linda says, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Topic number three, 
Jalazi has closed. Did you ever go to Jalazi? No. So this is the uh, pizza uh, via Connie's in Chicago and gelato via owner. Louis oh, wait Camello. a minute. It's on White Oak. It's on White Oak. Yes. Shit. Sorry. Right next to Revival Market. Yes, I have been once. <laughs> Did you eat the gelato? No, I ate the deep dish pizza. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. They're, they're, they're both gone. Louis has developed a, a thriving career in the film business. And uh, he. What? He, I mean, it was always like, I don't know if he would appreciate my saying this. It was always a little bit of a hobby for him. He, he's a real estate investor. And I think he, he had this building and wanted something to do with it. And so he put that Italian American grocery store and the, and Jalazi, the gelato and pizza place kind of right next to each other and, and made a go of it in the food business. But um, ultimately like that's not his primary occupation and uh, he's making TV shows and shooting commercials. And that's, that, that, as he explained to me, is far more lucrative than, than running a gelato shop. Well, I mean, uh, sad to see them go, I guess. They're right next to Heights Grocer, though, so that is a highly trafficked area of White Oak. Yeah, and there's, I mean, and the good news is there's a lot of ice cream options in the Heights. I mean, Fat Cat's been around for a long time. Uh, Cloud 10 has now been there at Heights Mercantile for a couple of years. Sweet Bribery opened last year. Uh, Dolce, if it has to be gelato and not ice cream. Uh, Dolce Nev is on North Main, mm-hmm. you know, so no well, shortage of choices. What about Baskin Robbins, Eric? <laughs> Where is there a Baskin Robbins, Mary Clarkson? <laughs> There's one close to my house. <laughs> yes, on Westheimer next to State of Grace, but, <laughs> but that doesn't do you much good if you're in the Heights. True. Um, but yeah, a lot of, I mean, so cushioning the blow, the loss of Jalazi. I mean, I it had its moments. I mean, I, I won't, you know, I'm a sucker for any sort of frozen treat, so. It's it's not like I had never eaten there, um, and hadn't enjoyed it in the past. But certainly there are um, there are lots of other choices for people. All right, I have sped through the news of the week because we are going to do an extended riff in the restaurants of the week, and we will do that right after this. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? All right, Mary, we have a lot to talk about in the restaurants of the week segment. Yes, we do. Starting with Mad. I learned it's not M- it's it's from the owners of BCN, but it is not MAD. It is MAD. Yes, airport code for Madrid. Yeah, um, and and I the first impression is you know you go to BCN, and everything is very it's very it's very clean it's very pretty mm-hmm. it's like it's almost like a museum, mm-hmm. and you go to MAD and it is bonkers. Like there's spinning mirrors. I mean, this complimentary, it's sensory overload Disneyland for adults in the best way ever. Right. There's, you know, you can, the, the bathroom is the walls to the bathroom Instagram are, gold. are neon lined <laughs> and glassed. So it's reflective. It's a little bit disorienting. You look up at the bar and there's like spinning mirrored columns. There's 3d printed images of satellites separating tables. There's a, Brutalist sculpture over the line of the kitchen. All the Picasso ceramics. Right. Like real real deal Picasso ceramics. I love real art in restaurants. It's There's my thing. a Chihuly, uh two different Chihuly. Uh, Chihuly, excuse me. <laughs> lighting fixtures. One over just a random table in the dining room, one over the cooking line. Um it is visually it is very stimulating. It is very uh luxurious. It is very energetic. If you were curious as to what a restaurant looks like when you can make it whatever you want to in your wildest dreams, that's exactly what this restaurant 
resembles. Right. And when you commission a prominent Spanish designer to be like, do whatever you want. And, and, and to play on the theme of mad, like madness, um, mm-hmm. insanity, whatever. And, and also to conjure the vibrant spirit of Madrid, right? It, mm-hmm. it kind of does both of those things simultaneously. Very lively, very colorful restaurant. Lots of red, lots of orange. I lived in Spain uh, in college. I lived in Granada, a smaller town than Madrid, much smaller, but very much the spirit of all things Spanish are running through this restaurant. Um, A dear friend of mine and former manager of mine who I'm good friends with, Sebastian Laval, has spent the last couple of years on this project. And he told me, and I think you as well, that it, for him, it's like walking through the renderings of all the sketches and all the iterations that this concept has taken over the last couple of years. So to see it come to, fru- come to fruition for he and Nacho and the team that they've assembled is pretty amazing. We should, we should say Nacho is Ignacio Torres, the owner of the restaurant. Sorry, Ignacio, yes. <laughs> and Chef Luis Roger, uh, who, who is also who's dividing his time right now between BCN and MAD. This is really fun for me, for Luis, because... BCN is a very serious, elegant restaurant. This is a lot more playful, tapas-driven concept. And he gets to put his experience at Albuli and some of the other what highly acclaimed uh, Spanish restaurants to play here. And you get to see that through the tapas. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to be able to take a tour of the menu. I mean, the tapas are six, eight, twelve, fourteen dollars. There's there's lots of inexpensive options. Yeah, so let's talk about some of that because he is he does, you know, there are there's an element of Spanish fine dining, uh Albuli, which has come and gone, but was widely claimed as as one of the most innovative best restaurants in the world. Now El Cellar uh the Can Roca, the, the Roca brothers came here a couple of times uh on behalf of BBVA and did some dinners here where that kind of molecular modernist cuisine is like a, is like a major component of Spanish fine dining. We haven't had anything like that here. And there are some of those touches on this menu. For example, the liquid olives, the liquid olives, they used a chocolate technique, kind of differentiating it from El Bulli's technique, which is more of a sphere, like a liquid sphere. It dissolves, but this is something you kind of bite into and then it dissolves. That's an El Bulli dish. Um, the foie or the, Pate um, ice cream cone, a little thing that's very playful. That's very obuli. Right, the mad tomato is is like a tomato gelée that goes around a layer of cheese and then has a has a core of pesto. So it's a little bit like uh, a burrata salad, but uh, reimagined, reinterpreted. You know, there's there's, um, you know, but there's also like like very straightforward. There's like suckling pig empanadas. That are just which are the bomb. Fl- it's it's easily the best thing that I ate there. Um, flaky buttery empanadas with rich suckling pig. I mean, the suckling pig at BCN has always been a signature dish for them. Always been kind of a must order item. So to get them, so you know, light it's a seventy dollar entree at BCN. It's like a fourteen dollar appetizer for four empanadas. Stunning. And it's it's like it it feels like a good deal. Hamon um, Iberica. With uh, pan con tomate or crystal toast, right? You know, very straightforward ham croquettes that are very straightforward. Uh, Pata- so patatas bravas, like all the things that you would expect from yeah, all the tapas stuff is sort of present and accounted for. Um, but there are 
you know, there are those molecular touches and they extend kind of throughout the menu. Certainly on the dessert menu, there's a the few desserts more. desserts were fantastic. Like, and it, like twist on kind of uh, expected dishes, but you get that El Bulli touch on the desserts. So it was nice to see that the desserts weren't, um, you know, kind of left. There was nothing amiss. It was a whole concept menu. Right. So, um, so whereas the tapas are very affordable and it's kind of easy to kind of, it's easy to imagine going in there and having a couple drinks, right? A couple, right. A couple of cocktails, tapas, right. That, that meal would probably set two people like four tapas and, and say two drinks each. I mean, that's like a 70 or $80 meal. Mm, Depends what you get. The cocktails are the cocktails right. The cocktails run pri- between fifteen and twenty each. So, they can get pricey. So four co- well, right. So I so I'm I'm underselling it because four cocktails is going to be at least sixty dollars probably. You could do three to four tapas and two drinks for one person under a hundred. Yeah. Uh, or you can do what I did with three friends and <laughs> dive pretty deep into the tapas menu. We probably had six or seven of them, mm-hmm. and then go back and hit the entrees, including the. The oversized paella, um, I believe it's a 38 centimeter paella pan, which is a lot of paella. Um, And in some ways, if you're ordering a lot of things like we did, in some ways I would get the smaller 30 centimeter paella because if all you want is to taste it, then you don't need the whole thing. Like they kind of pushed us into the big one. I used the Uh, big one. We didn't really need it. I used the big one. We were a party of 10 and the thing was empty. Yeah. But that's that's the t- eight to ten people I would do the big one. If you're smaller than that, I would do. Yeah, the if you're a, if you're a smaller party and you're sharing a whole, if you want the paella to be your like your meal, get the big one. Don't worry about it. But if you are tasting a bunch of things as we did, then the smaller one would be better. Uh, we got the uh, flank steak, and I think that's, I think that's it. So I I mean I I you know. 16 ounce flank steak for $78. That's the kind of thing that, that um, strikes people as kind of ridiculous. This was an excellent cut of beef. It was very flavorful, very tender, very beefy. Uh, I, I have no regrets about paying $78 for flank steak. I, I do have some regrets about the paella. Uh, we ordered the duck paella. And, you know, part of what defines that dish is the sokarath, the, mm-hmm. the crispy bottom. And that was absent from the uh, the paella that we ordered. And when I raised that, we we as a party sort of raised that with Sebastian, and he said that they're nervous about people sending it back for the rice being burned. It's a Spanish concept, so I think I spoke with him about this. They're going to fix that. They will have two options: so one with the sakarat, one not with, and the server will explain those options. Yeah. To I clarify right, a little I, more going forward. Right. I, because, you know, we being for like food enthusiasts, people who are really passionate about dining. Sure. Uh, really wanted that. And I, I certainly would have preferred to have been given the choice rather than not had it um, because it made, you know, it's never good when the, like we had a very good meal overall. And I was very, especially for a restaurant that had barely been open for a week. <coughs> and I was, I was pretty impressed by Mad, but when the most expensive dish is the most disappointing dish, that's a that that stings. Eric, I'm going to take you back. We'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually going to go. I've their their publicist had already scheduled me to 
have a meal with them. So I'm going to try some other stuff. Um, certainly not writing mad off by any stretch of the imagination, but I do like to be honest about my experiences. Sure. Um, and yeah, you have to talk about the late night component too. Yeah, I have an ex- So actually, why don't you talk about the late night component? Because I haven't experienced it. I have experienced it several times over the last couple of weeks. This is your new hangout spot. Like, <laughs> let's is, let's be real. This is yeah. If you don't, if I'm not picking up my phone, this is where you can find me. <laughs> so talk about what they're doing. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights, they starting have, at about ten o'clock. Yeah, ten o'clock. So. They have a DJ. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a different DJ on those nights. I think it may be, but um, there's a gentleman running the late night program here from 10 to 1 on Thursday, Friday, Saturday named Eddie, and he's doing an incredible job. Uh, You get to either reserve uh, the bar, a table, somewhere in the lounge area, and if you're dining there, if you're an 8.30, 9 o'clock reservation, whatever, you have the the right to hold your table for – uh, the late night option. What I love about this, and it separates it from all of the other clubs kind of out there, is they. this is not a bottle service nightclub lounge, and there's not a dance floor. It's a very elevated, sophisticated experience. So that same wine list that they have during dinner is also available at night. They do have some signature cocktails that they're highlighting uh, during this period, but it's 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 not overly crowded. There's not people hovering over you at the bar. Is there dancing? I haven't seen dancing per se. Okay. Not yet. Maybe maybe that will happen. Um, the two or three times I've been there late night, it's been um, on the far side of the restaurant away from the DJ booth. So there might be, but you know, this is this is reminds me a lot of Madrid and Barcelona, these really sophisticated cities. And this this type of space is very common um, there where the restaurant turns into something else later in the evening. So I'm excited to have a place to go where you don't have to fight your way to your table or to the bar and, and still you're still getting great service with a late night food menu. So there's seven or eight items on the menu. If you want a little bite of something, you have the option to eat. And it does have this lively atmosphere, but they're not, you know, they're they're being very restrained in how they sort of manage the crowd. So even the, you know, for dinner and I guess for, for this late night, even the bar seats have to be reserved. They don't want people standing around. They don't want people crowding around the bar. It's it's not, not that there's anything wrong with that, but they're going for a more elevated experience. They want to focus on the service aspect. This is not going to be uh, the bar at Steak 48. No. You know, it's not going to, with the, with, that's a that's a different energy, um, a different a different atmosphere, still upscale, but but Matt is going for something um, a little more personal, a little more refined. If you don't want to fight for a seat and you have the ability and patience to reserve a table, whether it's for dinner or for late night, this is the way to go. You'll really enjoy your experience. All right. So, what's the one dish for people who are going to Mad? What's the one thing they have? Oh, for me, it was the chicharron with the octopus. It was so savory. It was incredible. It was a tapas-style dish, smaller size. Yeah, suckling pig empanadas for me, for sure. That's a winner. And there's just like a little, like not the mad tomato, which was good, but there's just like a little tomato salad mm-hmm. with like bright, fresh, ripe heirloom tomatoes um, that was just like full of tomato flavor, and, and it's summer, and that feels right to me, and I, I'd get that again and again. So many good dishes. I have by no means worked my way through this menu 
I could still probably go four or five more times with a group and not have tasted everything. So that's one of the things I like, something to look forward to. Right. All right. And then so the other restaurant I want to talk about is Lock Bar, also new in River Oaks District. Um, so Atlas Restaurant Group out of Baltimore is opening two new restaurants in River Oaks District this summer. The first is Lock Bar and the second is Uzo Bay. And I guess for whatever reason, I had kind of been thinking of them as like related to each other. I think I did too. And they're not. Yeah. I mean, we, we should be very explicit about that. Uzo Bay is going to be Mediterranean. It's fine dining. It's, it's going to be very elegant. Ellen, uh, Evan Turner, formerly of Helen, is going to give them like a great Greek wine list and, and all this other stuff. But Lock Bar is very much its own space. It's got its own design to it. There's not like... You can't go from one to the other, like, internally. It feels like a high-end seafood oyster bar. It doesn't feel... That's right. It doesn't feel... Uh, we haven't been to Zubay yet, but it, it doesn't feel Mediterranean at all to me. It feels like New York City. Yeah, it, uh, they city. describe it as a seafood tavern. Yeah. And it does. It reminds me of kind of a an upscale American seafood restaurant that focuses on staple dishes, the kind of things that you would want from from any, you know, really good crab cakes, uh, an extensive selection of cocktails, a great whiskey selection. Great oyster selection. Right. Very good oyster selection. Uh we had a we had we had some bites from the raw bar. We had we had mm-hmm. we even had pretty good fried chicken. Mm, the fried chicken was my least favorite. All the seafood options were great. I'm very picky. <laughs> <laughs> well somebody said it is as good as La Lucha. And the answer to that question is no. No it is not. No it is not. But La Lucha La Lucha whole fried chicken and a bottle of champagne is my like uh, dream meal. <laughs> but uh, steamed mussels, the tuna, the tuna, uh, the tuna poke with the radishes and the avocado. That was delicious, um, light and healthy. Roasted oysters, Rockefeller, very good. A, a very solid lobster roll. Although I will say, I this is this is the only time that I prefer mayonnaise to butter. And they make theirs with butter, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I like a cold lobster roll with just like a little swipe of mayo that kind of holds the meat together more than I like a warm lobster roll with butter. But it's a, it's a very generous portion uh, with River Oaks District prices. Obviously, you're going to pay full freight. Uh, and I will say, now, we were eating in an empty restaurant uh, with their publicist. So can't really comment on service, but... I've been back since. Oh, what was it like when you went back? Okay, so I went, we were at kind of a midweek day, uh, like three o'clock in the afternoon when you and I were there. I went back uh, Thursday night, I believe, and the bar was full. And I was with a girlfriend of mine having dinner and drinks, and the food was very good. We kept it really light, just oysters and I believe the tuna dish that you mentioned earlier. And... The service was great. They hired a bartender from Anvil, Jonathan, and he, I believe, is running the bar program here and next door at Uzu Bay. But uh, at Lock Bar, they have so many scotches that they're featuring. So I don't know. I feel like that's going to be their signature. I think they're going to have 500 scotches or whiskeys. Yeah, I think they're starting out with 300 whiskeys split between, obviously, bourbons, scotches, and then some international stuff. Well, the prices were pretty reasonable. I Par think it for compares. Yeah. Uh, com- you know, obviously the, the comparison is going to be Boscat Kitchen, which is next door and has a, a similar selection. I actually thought they're at 
first glance, my my first impression was that the prices might be even a little better than Boss Cats, which um, is certainly that's a good impressive. Thing. Yeah. yeah. But so you went back and you liked it. I went back and I liked it. I liked the nighttime vibe. They're open till one a.m. every day of the week. So and you can get food and not just bars. So I think that will be the latest full concept restaurant in River Oaks District that's full service that late. Well, even in the gallery area in general, I mean, there's not very many places to get food after, say, 10 o'clock. So to have good quality, well-executed food available till 1 a.m., seven days a week. I mean, you know, a lot of places sort of promise that. We'll see how long it lasts. Sure. Like if they'll develop enough of a crowd to support that. I I hope they do. They're also going to have live music. So it's going to have a lively atmosphere in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just based on, you know, eating in an empty restaurant, I was impressed enough with Lock Bar to want to go back. I will go back. And it, it feels like a, a, you know, in a city where there just doesn't, there just aren't that many seafood restaurants. Like this is a nice addition. It reminds me a lot and it's not French obviously, but it reminds me a lot of Baltazar in New York, which is known for its seafood program and seafood towers the subway tiles and the decor felt very much akin to that. So I think it's a good universal decor um, that, that will fit in, fit in very well at River Oaks District. All right, Mary, before you get out of here, what's going on at Avondale Food and Wine? What's going on? It's summertime. It is hot in the city. Uh, we have a ton of rosés right now that we are featuring. So we've got over 50 rosés, lots of Magnum rosé bottles coming up for the 4th of July holiday um, but it is full on hot in Houston and our wine program is reflecting that right now. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I will be right back with Mike Sammons. Mikey Mike. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Joined this week by Mike Sammons, a, uh, an important force in the Houston culinary world, founder of 13 Celsius, Mongoose versus Cobra, Weights and Measures. He's working on a new project called How to Survive at Land and Sea. It will open sometime this summer. We're going to talk about that and a couple other things. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm pretty good, Eric. It's good to be here. Man, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, of course. I want to talk about the new bar, obviously. But before we get into that, I just kind of want to know like what you've been up to. Because I saw you... Like over the winter, working at Miss Carousel for Agricole, and yeah. and so I've just was kind of. Well, I guess can we clarify just like what is your current relationship with Thirteen and Mongoose? Are you kind of emeritus? Is that like a fair way to put it? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, <clears throat> I guess as of late, I mean, I'm just really focused on this newest project, so uh, I've really taken a huge step back. Um, I don't contribute daily uh you know everybody i've sort of put myself out of those programs so everybody that's working there now is taking over those basically daily operations and i don't really contribute much of anything these days because i'm just really focusing 100 percent on getting this project up and running okay yeah um so how was it working for agricole because i i i don't think of you as like a i think of you more as like a big picture operator less of as like a a worker bee yeah well I've known Morgan and uh, Ryan for, I mean, I, over, I don't know, probably about 15 years now. 
they're all they're great friends of mine. I I mean Ryan used to come to Thirteen when we first opened. I mean he that back when he was. He was like a chef at a restaurant downtown. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, he was at the Four Seasons and then at the Alden Hotel, I guess. That's right, yeah. But um, So I've known those guys forever. And as I've, you know, opening a new project means there's a lot of wait time, a lot of downtime, a lot of waiting for permits, a lot of waiting for inspections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And having stepped back from all of the, my other responsibilities, um, sort of found myself in a place where I was like, okay, I've got to kill like six months here. Um, so I basically tried to do a little bit of everything that I could. I mean, I got to I got to stay busy. Um, and when I saw that Miss Carousel opened, I was ex- extremely intrigued because when a lot of people don't know this, but when Miss Carousel first opened, there was no actual bar. Right. It was just all kind of couches and comfy chairs. Yeah. Without like, like a bar where you could sit in front of the bartender. Exactly. Like there, like it was there was like a, pl- a, gla- a like glass a glass partition that kept. Like you wouldn't just walk up to that area and order a drink. It's changed now, but I thought that was really interesting and and kind of, I mean, definitely unusual. Kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, that famous cocktail bar in Chicago, the Aviary, or yeah, that's right, Alinea. I can't remember, but um, so I thought it was really cool. And uh, <clears throat> so I just you know met with Morgan and and uh, they needed someone to kind of help out at night, and I needed something to do, and uh, you know it just fit. It worked out really well. I was only there for a few months. Um, and then my term expired there. But uh, it was actually really interesting to see how that bar opened and progressed. The restaurant as well, Indianola, which is attached to it. Um, and then there's a <clears throat> Vinny's Pizza uh, in, attached to that as well. Anyway, it was just really a cool project. And I, I was excited to be a part of it. And, uh, I, you know, it's right down the street from where I live and where my new project is going to be. So I wanted to do something in the neighborhood. And it's just it was just interesting. It was fun. Well, yeah. So what did you learn from that experience? Because, I mean... The, the no bar thing obviously didn't work. They, they, they moved away from that pretty quickly. Well, I mean, the, the thing about the no bar thing is that what's super awkward is when you walk into, into a place by yourself. Let's say you're going to meet somebody later or whatever, and you end up walk, and you walk into that place by yourself. It's really kind of awkward to not be able to, st- to walk up to the bar, which, you know, as a, as a customer, there's a relationship between you and the bartender that is kind of like it, it's immediate. And w- when you're unable to do that, it just it kind of creates a weird dynamic. Um, so that one thing I learned is just, well, something I, I suppose I already knew, but just there, there is a relationship between a bartender and a guest that is important. That's, that's sort of the, the basis of the entire operation. Yeah. I, that, and, and just, well, and also for people who work as bartenders, I mean, I, I feel like they, they typically want that interaction yeah. with the guests too. Like yes. they don't necessarily want to be like not hidden, but, blocked off from yeah from talking to people yeah i mean that's one of the that's one that's one of the actual like joys of being a bartender is you have constant interaction with people that that's the fun part about it yeah all right so let's talk let's talk about the new project you you haven't really said much other than that you've been kind of you've been working on this for a couple of years yeah two and over over two and a half years we're going on almost three years yeah so we start with the name Yes. Uh, the name is How to Survive on Land and Sea. Um, it comes from, uh, well, it's basically a, a war survi- survival manual. Um, weirdly enough, uh, my good friend Schaefer Hall, my, really my best friend, we've known, we, went, we went to college together and we've we remained friends since. And we actually opened up Mongoose versus Cobra together. He moved down from New York uh, to help me open this bar and now he's actually moved on he's uh he's in austin now he opened up another bar his own bar called the front page um and uh so anyway 
uh, he, uh, I mean, I, it's weird to say, but he's a poet of sorts. He's, he's published quite a, quite a few things and he's been pretty active in that scene for a long time. And he happened to write a poem that was called how to survive on land and sea. So when I came across that, I just thought it was, we had, I had this, this survival manual. I don't know where I got it from. I must've picked it up at half price books or something like when I was a kid. And I always just liked it because survival manuals, and if you haven't looked at one from like the World War One or World War II era, are fascinating. <laughs> um, so I don't know. That name always stuck around in my head. And uh, I guess just the kismet of running into, you know, something that my best friend had written with that same exact title. Um, I just always liked it. And I put kind of like shoved it in the back of my mind for later use. And uh, it just seemed to really fit this new space and this concept. So, All right. So we yeah. call... We, we call, there's a, there's a bar, Captain Foxheart's Bad News Bar and Spirit Lodge, and we all call it Bad News Bar. Right. Do you think we're going to call your new bar How to Survive or Land and Sea? I, when, we sh- when we shorten it. When I talk about it, I call it How to. But whenever I write it, it's uh, H-T-S-O-L-A-S. So um, I don't know. I like long names uh, for restaurants and bars. I don't know why. I just, I feel like, I mean, weights and measures, mongoose versus cobra. I mean, these are names that, kind of tell a story in and of themselves so um i i just sort of gravitate to that i don't know why but yeah all right so what kind of what kind of bar like it's gonna be a wine bar yeah yeah wine and beer um so in that sense a little bit like 13 celsius it's a lot like 13 celsius in that it will definitely cultivate a very you know for lack of a better word dynamic wine program but other than that that's kind of where the similarities truly end um 13 i'm very proud of 13 and adele who is whom you're familiar with and and absolutely actually a lot of people are at this point uh runs that show and she's doing a you know a fantastic job um but 13 is very precious and you know it's full service i mean it's treated like a restaurant you sit down at a table and you get full service um I'm not doing that in this project. I'm on the east side, second ward. It's a little different. Um, I, I've removed that bit about full service because I want this to be a lot more casual. I want it to be a lot, very accessible, you know, not very expensive. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's so, quite So basically, if, if you want another glass of wine, you're going to have to walk up to the counter and get it. For the most part, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, there is a counter. It's a and there is a bar, and it's it's just a different way. Number one, it, it helps me to eliminate a lot of the labor, and thereby giving me the ability to lower my prices. So that alone just makes it more accessible. You know, um, thirteen requires a lot of maintenance. A lot of time and effort goes into keeping thirteen functioning as it does, and we are still busy. We get busier every month, really. Um, and that's because it's, it's Houston's favorite spot to take their Tinder dates. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I think we discussed that, uh, the last time I was on this show too. Um, still is, I think, but, um, but yeah, so this is just a different, it's kind of the same, it's the same philosophy, especially when it comes to wine, but just a, a different approach, a more casual approach. Sure. So, so just talk a little bit about what that philosophy is so that, I mean, I'm I'm bad at wine. Like I I don't know nearly enough about wine, but you know I think of I think of thirteen as having kind of a, a European orientation, uh, small producers, and and uh, for lack of a better way to put it, mostly wines people haven't heard of. 
Right. They, they yeah. might know the varietal, but they won't know the producer. Yeah. And, you know, that's still something that's going to be a part of uh, how to survive on land and sea. Uh, that's just where I gravitate when it comes to wine. I just think, I mean, even something like a label can can be extremely interesting, you know, because it seems unusual because it comes from different parts of the world. Uh, as I was saying about, you know, longer names kind of tell a story. Uh, when it comes to bars and restaurants. Also, you know, a wine bottle alone tells a story. So I'm going to focus on that. That's still going to be there. Um, what was your question? <laughs> uh, like, what kind of wines do you kind of expect to serve? I mean, well, I'll get, okay. So we're in, we're in an interesting, it's just, we're in an interesting moment kind of in Houston wine bar, right? Natural wine is like yeah. becoming more and more prominent. Yes. Um, so yeah, where, where are you going to kind of fall on that? Spectrum? So I embrace all of that stuff. Um, but I guess, the best way to explain this approach is that when we opened 13, there was a kind I mean, wine was intimidating. You know, a lot of people, like you said, really didn't understand, like didn't really know what to order or how to order or even what they liked, you know? And if somebody like a sommelier in a restaurant explained that they would love this Burgundy, they just did because they just assumed this must be good. But things have changed drastically uh, in this town over the last decade plus. And people do actually know what they're doing now. You know, I mean, you, you got to give people credit now because they, they do actually know. You can't just intimidate, you know, you can't just put a, you know, a 50 page wine list in front of them and expect them to be intimidated enough to buy the most expensive thing on the menu. That People don't do that anymore. That's old school. So what I want to do is, is take all that, just embrace the fact that that, that era is over. Like, I mean, you have... You know, you have 22-year-olds, like, looking through a wine list and selecting great valued wines because they know what they're doing now. They know what, what areas of the world to look in for the best deal. I mean, nobody wants to spend $400 on a bottle of wine all the time. I mean, I don't, you know, and I, I, I think it's almost a little insane to do so uh, in this day and age when there's so many options and so much available for, like, 50 bucks or under. And what it takes is just someone who can say, all right, I know enough about this, you know, about wine culture to select only the things that I, that I feel, you know, put forth the best value for the buck. And, and, and that's really the focus of this wine program. So kind of value driven. Yeah. Under the radar, $50 bottles. I mean, I assume. Or less. Or yeah. Definitely. Definitely less. Yeah. Right. And you'll have some splurgy stuff. Cause, sure. But, um, will you serve food at all? Yeah. So the, it's a small food program, not unlike 13 in that it's, you know, it's not a full kitchen. Um, but the focus on the, the food element at how to survive is going to be basically almost directly. Um, it's directly modeled actually off of a small sandwich shop in Florence, Italy called, uh, I Fratelli, the brothers. And it's just like, I mean, they're like the most delicious sandwiches in the sandwiches in the world. Right. But they're just like tiny handheld things that cost like three or four dollars. They're very, it's very quick, unassuming, just like, but delicious. I mean, it can be something as simple as like, you know, cured prosciutto with uh, like Parmigiano cheese and a little bit of arugula on like the most perfectly baked uh, roll. Simplicity is the focus and affordability. And yeah. And of course, you know, have a, a, a massive charcuterie and cheese program as, as well, because I just think you have to have that. Uh, with wine, but yeah. So you opened in Midtown at a time when there wasn't much in Midtown. Yeah. Are you kind of doing the same thing here with the East End? I mean, there, there are certainly, there's certainly bars in the East End. There are, there aren't any wine bars. 
Yeah, no, there's nothing like that. There, there's a there's an abundance uh, of taquerias and you know cantinas, but no, there's nothing even. In fact, you can't even. I don't even think you can really buy a bottle of wine on the east side. I bought a house there. I live down the street from this new project, um, and you know the first thing in my mind is like, well, where am I going to go to buy a bottle of wine when when my wife's like cooking and needs me to go pick up a Sauvignon Blanc for, you know, whatever fish she's cooking that day. Anyway, so that's it was kind of driven out of like a personal necessity, but also there's a lot of new people moving to the east side. I mean, like a lot, like every day I see it's new houses. changing really fast. Yeah. And I want to be a part of that. Um, you know, I, thir- when 13 opened, there was nothing there. And to a large degree that, that applies to this area as well. I mean, there are quite a few things, Moon Tower, uh, Sigma Brewing Company's right down the street. Voodoo yeah. You're Queen. right around the corner from Voodoo Queen, right? As I recall. Yeah. Um, actually just like a couple blocks, uh, closer to downtown than Voodoo Queen. Um, but it, it is changing and I want to be, you know, I want to be one of the people that, that help, uh, sort of shape the neighborhood. If that, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be overly optimistic, but it would be lazy of me to just sit back and, and not try to put something in there that I thought was interesting. Yeah. Are you, I mean, are you kind of, uh. I mean, you've been kind of laying low a little bit. Are you like ready for the like six day a week, you know, 3 p.m. to 2 a.m. back at it kind of grind? If I don't make if I don't get back to that very soon, I'm, I'm going to go crazy. Uh, time time off is uh, no longer. Um, I thought I would really embrace some time doing nothing, but it is like it's driving me crazy. I want to work so bad. Uh, and, and, you know. I don't, at this point, I, I've done a lot of, over the, over the last couple of years, a lot of consulting uh, for various places, many of which I'm contractually obliged not to talk about. Um, but I'm not willing to do that anymore. Uh, I want to focus on my own vision and my own thing um, and, 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 and on something that I think is, well, necessary, you know. Yeah, I, I mean... So beyond like giving yourself a place to buy a bottle of wine, like, like how do you sort of see it fitting in with the neighborhood? I mean, do you, do you have a kind of a sense from talking to your neighbors that this is something that people really want? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, I, I'm on site now, you know, all day and people will, are constantly driving by or walking by and, uh, and you know, they're like, what's going to, what's, what, what is, what is this going to be? Cause right now it's all boarded up. You can't really tell what it is. Um, when I explain to them what it is, I mean, they're just like, no way. Like, are you serious? Uh, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, but you know, it's just like the Heights, right? Uh, I, I often say that the Easton is just like the Heights was, you know, 20, 25 years ago. I lived in the Heights forever. Um, and I started, you know, it started to change very quickly and now it's in a completely different animal than what it was when I lived on 28th and Yale, uh, in two, uh, 1999. Well, right. I mean, even in the last five years, I mean, the yeah. amount of, you know, the days when it was, shade and liberty kitchen mm-hmm. and downhouse you know and those were the places you could go eat it's yeah like, forget it now that was pretty much it yeah right but now there's a i mean there's a hundred different places in this in a two mile radius that you could go um there's, i think there's like 14 ice cream shops it's, it's crazy um but you know that's progress in a in a in a, in a sense and I, I think that that's inevitable uh on this side of town as well on the east side um, so what is your, uh, what's your timeline? Like, when do you, when do you think you're going to be open? I'll be open this summer for sure. Yeah. Before the end of the summer, I'll be open. 
And oh, I haven't asked you about decor. Like, what's it gonna what's it gonna look? So, I'm kind of stitching this place together, right? Um, yeah, I was actually gonna ask. I mean, are you are you in? Because for the for some of your previous projects, you partnered with uh, Ian Rosenberg. Yes. Are you are you working with him on this too? No, not on this one. Okay. Uh, this one is is really uh, it's me, and I, I have a, a, a business partner as well, um, but. This one is 100%, um, I guess it's 100% my creation in that sense. I definitely have a, a team of people behind me that help me do all the things that I can't do, like negotiate contracts, sign leases properly. Um, but I don't have to, I don't, that's not my thing. This is my thing. And uh, in this case, this is 100% mine. Um, so it's a little bit of pressure, but I welcome that kind of pressure. You know? And I feel confident that it's going to be. But to answer your question, um, like I say, I'm pulling things together from various sources. I'm, f I'm using a lot of my own furniture, a lot of my own, uh, uh, you know, artwork. So this is really just like a conglomeration of things that I've collected over the years. And frankly, it's the idea is supposed to be, it's kind of like if you can imagine an Austrian wine house, there's a word for it, but I can't pronounce it correctly. So I'm not going to say it. Um, but what it is, is it's just kind of like a rustic, it's almost like a farmer's house. So that's kind of the aesthetic that I'm going for. Yeah, I was going to say, it almost sounds like it's it's like hanging out of your place, like drinking like this cool wine you found and yeah, that is eating a, your favorite sandwiches. And Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think about it like that, but um, yeah, that's almost exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. You, you touched on this earlier, but you know, you opened 13, I mean, more than 10 years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you seen Houston kind of change? Because I, I do really think that, that places like 13 and, and then Camerata and some of the places that have come after it have made us like a more sophisticated wine drinking city. So Without like, a doubt, yeah. So like, what can you, what can you put on a list now knowing it'll move that maybe you had to educate people about 10 years ago? Yeah, okay. That's a good question. Um, so off the top of my head, I'm just like, the, the first thing that came to mind when you said that is. Austrian wine, right? Like two things have kind of collided uh, in the last 10 years that have made Austrian wine something that's on, it's a staple on every wine list now, especially in Houston where it's 105 degrees most of the time. Um, a Gruner Veltliner was something that people were afraid to even try to pronounce uh, five to six years ago. Now it's on every wine list in town. So, you know, uh, dry, uh, refreshing, crisp white wine that just is full of flavor, like in a in a very I don't know appropriate way for a hot climate. Um, that's the kind of thing that like people just I mean nobody would ever order that or uh, or even think about trying it unless you kind of you kind of had to like force it on, on them by like pouring them a, a taste you know whatever. And once they did, of course they they thought it was great. Um, that is a good example of the kind of thing that that uh, you know when we first opened. I mean people just didn't really understand. That as well as the natural wine movement when, and, uh, you know, things like wines from Georgia, the country, you know, like that's the kind of thing that people in Houston are actually like comfortable um, drinking at this point. Yeah. So you're going to have some natural wines and some conventional wines or? Yeah, I, I, I love the natural wine thing. Um, it's a trend that I, I appreciate it. And, and, you know, when we first opened 13, that was one of the we really were focusing on natural wine, but of course there wasn't that much available at the time. Now there's quite a bit. Um, but I also recognize that there are some people that just aren't into that. You know, not everybody eats vegan. Not everybody 
only eats organic. It doesn't, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think people should be allowed to consume whatever they want, whatever makes them happy, whatever makes them feel good. And I, I, I love people who embrace that, the concept of natural wine. And I love the, you know, places like light years, uh, that is basically all they do is, is, uh, natural wine. And that's great. But I think that, I think that it, I think that everyone should have the ability to select whatever they want. So I'm going to present all of it together. But you're not, I mean, we're not going to find like Clico on your list. Or... I mean, you might, uh, it just, I mean, it just depends. I mean, I, I wouldn't put anything on there that I wouldn't drink myself. Let's put it that way. Um, but there are some things that, you know, like, uh, when the craft beer movement became a big thing here in Houston, uh, people were dogging on Budweiser. Okay. Now I can, I can respect that, but when I'm done mowing the lawn, uh, in July, and somebody gives me an ice cold Budweiser, I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna drink it. And I'm gonna enjoy <laughs> it. And the the amazing thing about that is that that product, you know, you can say whatever you want about it. You can say it's tasteless or, or whatever. But that product tastes the same here in Houston as it does in China. You know, it tastes the same in South Africa. It's it's a product that is is so stable and re, and reproduced so well. It's even more. I think it's even, it's 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 even safer to assume that. Uh, your can of Budweiser will taste exactly the same all over the world than it is for Coca-Cola. You know, Coca-Cola is different uh, in different areas of the world. I think Budweiser pretty much maintains itself. Um, so I don't know. There's something to be said for that, you know? Don't put Budweiser on your beer list. <laughs> I, now I probably will. <laughs> right. I mean, I... Just to be... <laughs> I mean, I, you know, who am I to, who am I to look to? I mean, I'll drink a cold shiner. Right, yeah. like I'll drink a I'll drink a high life every now and then, or a, a Lone Star. So, I don't I don't know why I don't know why Budweiser and Miller Light are like the the bright like those are the macro beers where I'm like no no I'm too good for that yeah. <laughs> unless you know unless someone hands me one and then it would I'm not rude I'm not turning down a, a free beer from somebody but it's kind of funny because uh, as you're saying that I'm looking over behind you and there's a Bud Light. <laughs> sign in the, in the yeah room. we are we are a sports station so we are yeah. we're very well decorated uh although i i should say that uh at least for the morning show it's coors light that's that's who sponsors the, <laughs> okay. the morning show that airs on that airs on the station also b- before we move on i did did want to say one more thing about that um brad moore and i were having this discussion a long time ago uh you know some people will come into his bar or, or my bars or whatever and order let's just say x product right let's say budweiser and when you say, no, we don't carry that, what you're kind of saying to them is, no, we don't support the associations and the memories you have of your brand. And that, I think that kind of makes people feel bad. And like, I don't want anybody to come into my establishment and feel bad. Well, what you're really saying is you're, you're tasting beer sucks. Yeah. Right. Like drink something else. Yeah. And like, obviously that's subjective. So I, I don't think, any, I don't think I'm, I should be the judge of what people like and don't like. I don't think that's. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. People like whatever they like, and that's fine. Now, don't give them something you think is like harmful or, you know, a ripoff. I mean, you got to be honest about it. But I think you could give people what they want and provide a good place for them to relax and have a good time and meet friends, et cetera. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All right. So, but but in terms of the beer program, I mean, are you you're kind of I mean, the east side is like swimming in craft breweries. I mean, are you going to kind of represent that? You think? So, I've been play, playing with this and going back and forth. I'm not. I haven't pulled the trigger on what I'm going to do exactly, but what I've been thinking about lately is something that I want to call the Holy Grail. And what that is, is basically every available, uh, you know, every available Belgian and German beer that I can find. Um, 
and put a focus on that. I think those are the, some of the best beers made in the world. They, you know, they're also mass-produced products as well. When you really think about it, I mean, Chimay, for example, made by Trappist monks, sure, but also uses uh, adjuncts and you know things that are not necessarily considered to be correct by the craft beer community. But they are also delicious. So I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, and there really isn't a beer bar devoted to Belgian. No. I mean, I think the, you know, I think uh, when Kyle Pearson opened the branch, like that was kind of, Oh yeah. he had some aspirations to that, but I, I don't think Spring Branch was, was maybe ready for, is that, is that for still all there? of that. Still there. Still there. Still kicking. Well, that's good. Um, you know, Mongoose versus Cobra was originally going to be a, a, a 100% Belgian beer bar as well, as well, but. Well, and you, and it has that setup for those European kegs, right? That's yeah. that whole. Yeah design element yes that's right which might be going away because there's i think they're they're slowly phasing out that design so we got to figure out something something else to put in that window um but don't forget i have something for you before we oh yeah do you want to do you want to talk about it uh yeah well sure let me just you, you i'll just, I'll just yeah yeah you. yeah yeah we'll we'll uh i'll i'll talk into this microphone while you reach in the bag and pull out uh what looks like a, a milk jar uh a, a that's not a gallon, right? That's a no. That's, that's like a, a that's like a pint. Yeah, sure. Well, it's like or, a, no, it's bigger than a pint. Maybe it's a quart. I think it's a quart. It's a quart. But it's a mason jar. Yeah, it's a mason jar. Okay, so what I brought last time, I brought you some liquor. From my you 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 did, days. and uh, and a, a former house guest of mine, swear to, you gave me a bottle of um, chartreuse. Chartreuse, yeah. That's and right. uh, somehow a house guest of mine drank the entire bottle oh. without me knowing. That's <laughs> uh, why that that person is no longer welcome to to crash on my couch. It's like Respect. I don't even know anyone who. I mean, it, it's a little bit like that scene in Anchorman. Like I'm not even mad. I'm just sort of impressed. Like who drinks an entire <laughs> bottle of chartreuse? Uh, what's her name? Leslie. Uh, Leslie. Yeah, Leslie Krogenberger. Yeah, she would. She would. Yes, <laughs> easily. Okay, so what I got you something. I, I just thought this one was interesting, uh, and you might enjoy it. Um, I don't know how much you. How much do you do you cook at home a lot? Almost never. Almost never. Okay. Because you, I mean, your job is to. It's my job is yeah. to eat out and, and I live by myself and cooking for one is a drag. Well, this is just something that's, this is just something that you can try because it's interesting. So this is from my wife Gretchen's, uh, uh, her mother and father, uh, Camille and Dr. John Bach. Um, he has retired. He was a neurologist, uh, chief of staff. And uh, he's retired. And because this guy is literally a renaissance man and does everything, he's one of the He's one of the smartest, most interesting people I know, uh, as, as well as Camille, uh, my mother-in-law. She's um, really kind and super hardworking, both of them. So, of course, they retire, and what do they do? Well, they're out in Willis, Texas. They have uh, a small farm with uh, cows and pigs and chickens, etc. Uh, but they started their own dairy. So this is butter from the dairy wow. and sweet cream. Uh, from the cows that were, I mean, this was milked uh, last week, um, and this was made uh, just uh, maybe a week before that. Um, what's interesting about this is like, this is real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you taste this butter, you like no like no exaggeration. You taste the grass that these cows ate. There's no, this is like butter that was made a thousand years ago. You know, it's it's something it's something uh, it's quite something to try. It's interesting. All right. So, do you drink the sweet cream? Do you bake with the sweet? Like, what should I be doing with? This well, sweet cream? Um, and how long is this going to last in my fridge? Because I this will last a while. Uh, it's pretty stable. But um, 
I don't know. It's a good to drink. It's good in your coffee, actually. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the butter, of course, I mean, for anything. You know, yeah, the you, butter, I'm just, I'm going to find myself like a crusty loaf of bread and go yeah, down on the butter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- and this is, this is, you know, I mean, if you look at it, you can just see it. I mean, it's wildly yellow, you know? It's just, yeah. <laughs> this is real. You yeah, know? it's, um, it's almost like sunflower yellow. I mean, I'm just to try to give people who can't see this a, yeah. a sense of the, the coloring. Yeah, so anyway, they are, they're working uh, hard to... To get this uh, dairy up and running, and they're they're also I should mention they're making cheese, um, camembert style cheese, which will be on the market uh, as soon as they perfect the uh, the whole process. You know, it's, do they have you, you can plug this? Do they have like a website or a, they don't have does a, it have a name? They don't have a, a website yet, but um, it's called a Good Grass Good Grass Dairy. Uh, it's from Willis, Texas. Um, I, I'm not sure when things will be available to buy, but um, soon they're perfecting the the style of cheeses they want and the aging process and all that stuff. What kind of cheeses are they going to, do you know? Right now they're only doing a camembert, camembert style. So okay. these, they're, basically they're small, you know, they're like five inches around, uh, like a, in diameter uh, and like two and a half inches thick or whatever. And they get better each time. I mean, they're just learning. It's a very complicated process and um, they're just learning how to make everything and do everything right. So, you know, as soon as they feel uh, satisfied with the product, we'll start seeing it on shelves. Right. And you, will you have this as, as the selection? Like, will you... We yeah, of good course. grass, good grass, butter, and and camembert at, at how to survive on land and sea. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, yeah. Just if nothing else, just for <laughs> the sake of your like family relationship. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, the bot. You know, I don't want to piss off the boss. That yeah. be, that being my wife, <laughs> for clarification. So, wine program, beer program. You're going to do retail too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's another thing about it too. Yeah. So, I don't have a liquor license, uh, and that that was the sole purpose of that is just it's beer and wines and, and the reasoning is that with the beer and wine license you can sell retail so people can come in and uh and pick a bo- pick up a bottle and take it with them and then i guess that's at a lower price than if you stay and drink yeah it. yeah of course yeah and also i should also just mention that um another project that i'm doing as well is right next door to the wine bar and i haven't talked to you about this okay um but i'm doing a small restaurant there as well Oh, what kind of restaurant? Uh, it's going to start uh, as a pasta restaurant. That's all we're doing. Uh, handmade pastas daily. Uh, we're open for lunch. And, you know, it's right next door to, it literally shares a door with uh, How to Survive Online and See. So you can, you can walk in through that door and get a bottle of wine and take it with you uh, to, to this restaurant. Um, details forthcoming, but um, it's in the works. It's, it's going to happen. So name, chef, all that, TBA. All that done, but... All that, all that done and in the works, just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a process getting things open. It, I mean, it, it's obviously it's taken me almost three years to do this one. I'm still not quite there. Um, but this one should go a lot faster because most of the, most of the groundwork has been done. So probably by the end of the year. Uh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Barring any cataclysmic events. Yeah. Um, you said lunch, lunch and dinner, right? Like lunch to start. Lunch to start. Okay. Uh, one thing that we... Is there a lunch crowd in that part of the world? I mean, not no. to be stupid about this. Okay. No, there's not. But I feel so confident in the dishes that this chef makes that uh, I, I feel that, I mean, think about it. It's right, it's right on the rail line. You know, if you're, if you're downtown, you could hop over there and, and like, I've, I've done it and it's less than four minutes um, from, you know, from Main Street, like where uh, the, the flying, flying saucer is. Right. Uh, Main Street and whatever, 
I think it's Texas actually. But so from that station right there, you can be over in that area because where I am on Harrisburg is right by the coffee plant, right there, which is the name of the stop as well. And you can be there in, it's like four minutes. So I don't know. You can't eat the same thing every day. So if you're downtown and you're, you know, you have to go to Zero Sandwich Shop, and I'm not knocking; it's a great place. But if you do that every day, uh, you know, you're tree, gonna, tree beards, right? Like if we're tree, just gonna yeah. throw some random downtown restaurant yeah. on the bus. You're gonna all great places, but um, you know you're gonna gonna want something different every now and then. Plus, I don't know, you get out of downtown for a few minutes, and you know, yeah, and then you get can. Some air. I guess you can eat it on the rail ride back. Sure, why not? <laughs> Maybe not with the wine. I think they frown on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Mike, this is I mean, this is all very exciting. Yeah, it is. It is exciting. Yeah. Um, so we will look forward to uh, how to survive on land and sea sometime this summer. I guess. Yes, definitely. Um, Please come. <laughs> yeah, right. He, calling, calling East Siders. This is the, <laughs> this is the wine bar you've been begging for. Yes, right. It's yeah. like, why don't we have something like this in the neighborhood? Well, now you do. Yeah. Or you will. Now you will. Yes. Yeah. And there's like, I, yeah, I, I definitely feel like there's like a. I seem to know a lot of wine people that are living kind of out that way, and so I think they'll. Yeah. Like they'll be there to support you. Well, you know, Nancy's Hustle is just down the street, and like. They have a, an insanely good wine program. Um, it's people. There are people in this area that want that, and you know, I'm just trying to do that. Sweet. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited that you're getting back in the game. I mean, I because you haven't really opened anything since. Well, you were involved in opening weights, but I, that's the last thing that you like really had your hand in in terms of yeah putting your name on it. Yes, that's true. But you know, I've been working. I've been working so long on this one. Uh, I've just put all my effort into it. And there are some things you just can't do that things that just require time. I mean, this building, when we, when I signed this, the lease for this building, for this space, like we didn't have electricity, you know, no, no HVAC, uh, no windows, you know, all that stuff has to be done. Yeah. It was, it was, I, yeah, my, my memory is that it was like, there was like a door, but the rest of it was just like wall. Yeah. So like I mean, I literally had to knock out all that, all those walls, and replace them with with glass. Uh, so it, the, I had no idea it would take this long, but I also didn't really know like how involved the uh, build out process would be for this space. But in some ways, it's actually kind of nice because the neighborhood has caught up to you a little bit. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, Nancy's has kind of provided some proof of concept, right? It's a good yeah. idea to have a an ambitious wine program in this part of the world. People will embrace it. Yes. Um, and then are you going to have like a, a patio or like a sidewalk seating or so there's all around the building is like, it's like four and a half, five feet of, of there's a perimeter around it, you know, and that will be, I'm doing air quotes right now on my patio, um, where you can sit outside and, you know, it has a beautiful view of downtown as the sun goes down all that kind of stuff. You know? Yeah. And get a little of that, that urban vibe as the, as the rain, as the train goes past, you're right on, you're on the rail line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Samson and Harrisburg, right. And, and that the, the rail line runs right down Harrisburg. All right. Yeah. I'm excited for you. Thanks man. I'm looking and I'm looking forward to drinking there. I'm looking forward to drinking there with you. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I've asked you all the lightning round questions the last time you were here, but, um, we can do it again. Uh, sure. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be this podcast if I, if we just, wrapped up the if we just wrapped up the interview without it okay well the the, the interesting thing will, will will be to go back and and see if the answers right match see if up. the answers yeah. match up yeah <laughs> all right um mike sammons what's your favorite uh cookbook favorite cookbook yeah oh okay you never you did definitely no there's there's, there's a couple of new ones 
Um, my favorite cookbook. I don't remember the name of it, but my, my wife has this cookbook called, it's something like, all it, it's five ingredients, and it's, it's Indian food, but they'd only use this five ingredients. I love that book. I that's don't a know very, what it's called. That's a very, uh, I like that. That's a, a very simplified approach to Indian food. Yeah, that's, well, I think that's kind of the idea is like you can do this in, in you know, in your house. You don't have to like, but it's, and she's made uh, many of those dishes, but yeah, it's like just five ingredients. Like it's, it's probably called like the five ingredient Indian cookbook or something okay. simple like that. But yeah, that's, I guess that's my favorite. All right. I'm sure I asked you what the first band you saw in concert was. So what's the last band you saw in concert? The last, okay. Uh, the last band. Well, it's really former. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I saw Gary P. Nunn, uh, out in Conroe a couple weeks ago. It's a solid Texas answer. Yeah, it was. And, you know, the last time I saw him was probably about 10 or 12 years ago at Blanco's, which is now no longer there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was cool. Um, all right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through This is a new one for me. And uh, I, it's embarrassing, but those tacos from Jack in the Box, I mean, come on. <laughs> Like I think about those constantly and they're like a, it's like a buck 20 or something like that. And you get two tacos and like, they are not good for you, but they are, no, they are not. They are delicious though. So that's, that, that's, and that's, that is a guilty pleasure. And there's like, there's like three Jack in the boxes next to my house. So that's like every time I'm driving around or whatever, like I, I run in across one. I'm just like, maybe I'll just make a U-turn and go get a couple of those little, right. right. No grocery yeah. stores in the East side, but plenty of Jack in the box. Yeah. That's very true too. Uh, what, do you have a favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one to ask me because I don't really have an answer. I think, uh, I think the last time you asked me this, I said Craig Bijo, and I guess I'd have to say it's still Craig Bijo. I ran into him uh, at Top Golf, and and uh, he was he was super nice. I just liked him. I don't know. Um, and then finally, uh, when you go to a pizza place for the first time, what is your go-to pizza order? So I think I told you about the place that I went just recently. Uh, you did. Yeah, you did. So yeah. talk about that place. Cause we haven't talked about it. On the so show. what I do when I go to, and I am, you know, I'm obsessed with pizza. Um, weights and measures. We had a big pizza program there. We, we, we literally, the chef and I, and Heath Wendell, the chef cap, Richard Kaplan and I, and, uh, and, uh, Heath Wendell, the, uh, head baker and owner of Slodo. We went to Italy. We went down to Naples. We tried what, you know, we, we thought was probably the best pizza in the world. So I'm kind of a stickler about it. I mean, um, so, and this new place opened up down the street from Weights and Measures on Austin, uh, called the Gypsy Poet. And we went in there to try it. And the first thing I always look at about when it comes to pizza is the dough. And the first thing I, I always order when in their classic Neapolitano style pizzas is a margarita, because if they can do that right, everything else is going to be good too. Um, this place, for example, the dough was perfect. So give it a shot. All right. A margarita at the Gypsy Poet. Yeah. Oh, and you can you can uh, you can add uh, anchovies to it for a buck more, which is I highly recommend. Do you uh, do you have like a website or social media or any of that for how to survive yet? Nope. Uh, I don't intend to have a huge uh, social media presence. Um, the approach to this bar is very different than anything I've done before. Um, I really want it to be kind of a organic. Um, an organic thing, you know, I want it to evolve on its own. So there will be some web presence and stuff like that, but not much. You don't want me to send a bunch of Instagram influencers in there and <laughs> taking pictures. And, and No, please don't. <laughs> God, I've been toying with the idea of just like, you know, there's a place in LA that 
if you put your, if you give them your phone or you turn your phone off or whatever, they give you a, a coupon. For, it's a voucher for a free pizza when you come back the next time. And I was like, God, that would be amazing. You know, I mean, I I, I still can't believe it. Whenever I walk into a to a bar and everyone at the bar is on their phone, no one's talking. I I, I don't mean to sound like an old man, you know, yelling at clouds, but but what happened to just talking to someone? You know, I, I don't know. know. I'm that guy that's buried in my phone, so I'm I'm the I'm the a hundred percent the wrong person. No, I am to too. ask or criticize anyone else for it. I am too, and I and I, I wish I were better about it. If you know, don't there's a there's an option on there's a there's a thing on the on your iPhone where you can go and and see how much time you've spent. Yeah, I don't look at that because I don't want to know. Yeah, Ignorance I don't either. Is bliss. It's got to be like four hours for me a day. It's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at eSandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.